You know, as we were reading the, Aaron was giving a little history, and then we were then we read the Nicene Creed. You know, it's easy for us to forget the history there, and uh, it's easy for us to forget the um, the men and and who they were who gathered uh, in that in that place. You know, I've I've heard it said that the entrance into the council. The, that the, the, the way that they knew you deserved to be there was that you remained. They checked your scars at the door. You know, the men who wrote what we just read, some of them were there with eyes gouged out for preaching the gospel of Christ. Some of them were there with missing limbs, arms. Most of them there were there with whip scars across their back. We sit in freedom and confess, and I admit sometimes half-heartedly, what they gave their lifeblood for. You know, I've often thought, if we had a church council today, how good it would be for the church. For the church of the West and its leaders to show up at one place with the church of the Far East. And for the West to show up on Learjet's. And no scars and nice clothes to sit with brothers from across the world who are there with the same types of scars that these men had. And for us to see what we confess half-heartedly, they are dying for in their country. And so we should never take for granted, never take for granted these great statements that these men died to give us. That God in His providence saw so good to give us in His kindness. That we never forget what we believe. That we never forget who we are in Christ. That we never forget how awesome and great our God is. And you know, as we approach Him in prayer, it's good to remember these things. You know, we we were going to pray in just a moment for several things. One of them being Dave Swinney. You know, yesterday we got discouraging news about Dave and and the response he's had to his treatments. And I won't get into all of the details, but I've talked with them this morning. He's going to have to stay in the hospital uh, for several days. Um, He is passing blood. They don't know where the blood's coming from. And uh, it's, it's gotten worse even this morning. And so they're in the throes of, of a lot of things right now as a family. And, and, and he is, he is um, there in the hospital. And you know, you get that kind of news and, uh, and your, your faith is put on uh, the block. Because as I was sharing that with people that were here at the fall that fun day yesterday, our people, asking them to pray, you know, so many were discouraged. And some of the local people who know him were asking about him. And I've shared this news. And one, one lady said to me, you know, I just can't believe he's going through this. He's such a good person. Our faith is, is put on the block. You know, what do we believe is put out there in real life? And who is this God we trust in? And who is it that Dave is trusting in? It's good to know he hadn't lost his humor. He uh, sent Jason a, a text message who had the picture. It's, you know, they got the monitor for his oxygen that glows red. In the picture, he's holding his hand up and he said, E.T. phone home. He's laying there in the hospital bed. So he still has his humor with him. 
We can be thankful for that. We can be thankful that he's in a facility that is designed to care for people in exactly his place in life. God's provided that for him. He's, we can thank God that in his providence, he planned for Lisa's family to already be en route there to take care of children while he's in the hospital. We can thank God that Debbie's friend Sarah had already planned to take their children for the whole day yesterday and take them to a play and they didn't have to sit and watch as all this unfolded with their father. God plans the intricate details of events in our lives and so we go to Him in prayer. Not because He doesn't know, but because He does know and because He wants to hear the prayers of His people. And so when we go before God, if you're here for the first time today, we're not going telling God what's going on. We're going saying, God, you know what's going on. You know far more than we will ever know and we are holding Him up to you. You are the source of our life and His life. Our healing and His healing. And we're going uh, together in unison as a body for Him. And there are other things to be prayed over beyond that. And we, we, we want to have that time of prayer and ask God to, uh, to bless in many circumstances. I'm sure there's many things we can pray about, okay? And uh, so I want to give us a few seconds here to focus on, on things and to pray, and then I'll, I'll pray. So let's pray together, church. Father, we do come to you now, and you are the God of heaven and earth. You are lifted up high and mighty upon your throne. There is no one like you. And God, we come to you as not only the great God of heaven and earth, but we come to you as our God, a personal God. We come to you as our Father. We come to you as our Healer. We come to you as our provider. We come to you as our shield, as our fortress. We come to you as our very sustenance, the thing which we have to have to live. You are all in all. There is none like you. And so we come to you, God, today, asking that you would be with Dave in this moment. God, would you, would you by your power, through your spirit, would you strengthen him in this very moment? Would you cause him to know in his heart that we are here and we're praying for Him. Would you encourage Him in His inner man that He is not alone and that He is not being forgotten? God, would you, would you give Him strength, supernatural strength? Would you heal Him from this issue of blood? Help the doctors to know what the source of this bleeding is. Help them to have then a quick response that brings an end to this trial. And allows Dave to return to function with his family during, uh, during this time. Lord, we ask for Lisa that you would give her the comfort and the care that she needs to be able to provide for her husband. Lord, I know that, uh, that mentally it is exhausting to care for someone. It is emotionally draining. And God, it is physically tiring. There is nothing like caring for someone 24 hours a day. But you know her need, and you know her weakness. And I'm asking God that you would be strong now in her, in her time of weakness. That you would give her uh, resources and reserves that she didn't even know existed. God, would you make your grace new to her each and every morning. 
like the dew which falls from heaven, like the manna which you provided for your people. God, would your grace and your word strengthen her in this time. And God, I pray that you would be with the children. I'm sure that they are unnerved by the events of yesterday, especially Abby. God, I ask that you would you would calm them, that you would give them confidence, that they would see the steadfast faith of their father, and that they would be called and drawn into a closer relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for those who are providing care on the scene. We thank you for Lisa's parents. We thank you for Sarah. We thank you for the people of Kaleo Church. And God, uh, we thank you that there are hands and feet there doing your work even now uh, in our place. God, the things that we so long to do for the Swinneys that we can't do, Lord, selfishly, we want to do those things. But you have seen it better that others do that and provide care. And so, Lord, we are confident that you're providing all of his needs. And everything, Lord, is for your glory in this situation. Now, Lord, we ask as we turn now to your word, as we focus there, we ask that you would, uh, you would open our minds that you would illumine our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would combine with the power of the gospel and would go forward and save souls. If you, Lord, withdraw yourself from this moment, then it is worthless. It is meaningless. But, Lord, with you, there's great purpose here. God, I pray you would save the lost. I pray, God, that you would speak confidence and assurance to the saved. And that you would draw us all to your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. It is in His name we pray. Amen. We are people of an extreme nature, as Aaron was pointing out earlier. You know, we're extreme on on things of theology as much as we are on politics. You know, the the, the focus on the Holy Spirit in our day, uh, I would say, and I say in our day, really, post the Second Great Awakening... The focus on the Holy Spirit in the continental United States has been one of two things. One, the conservative fundamentalist church has ignored the Holy Spirit. Almost completely. We say we believe in a trinity, but we talk and preach and live and pray and sing as if we believe in a, in a, in a two-person deity, not a three. That's often our sin. We ignore it. He is off limits because he's hard to understand. I mean, anybody that tells you that there's no, uh, there's no uh, apprehension when talking about the Spirit of God in their heart, they're a fool. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. It is a fearful thing to begin to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who... Issued out as fire and consumed the sons of Aaron for their, for their sacrifices. It's the Spirit of God which came to rest over the tabernacle in thick cloud and in fire by night. It's the Spirit of God who in the bush was burning but not consuming and draw, drew Moses into a conversation with the living God. It's the Spirit of God who when Ananias and Sapphira came before a Peter, lying over their sale of property, struck them dead. The Spirit of God, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, is a consuming fire. He is holy. He is perfect. But He is not off limits. 
He is not off limits. The charismatic response to that, also a conservative body for the most part, but now since the Second Great Awakening, the, the fastest growing of the evangelical denominations, the charismatic church, the second wave charismatics in particular in our day, have picked up almost a frivolous attitude to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes your, makes your coffee taste better in the morning if you listen to these guys talk. They've made him a byword because they've mocked him, I believe, in their teaching. They've belittled him. They've made him nothing more than a friend that talks to them when they shave. This is, this is silly. The world knows it and we know it. So there's extremes in the teachings of the Holy Spirit. But the Apostle Paul is not one to, to speak in extremes. He, in Ephesians chapter 1, at the end of his great benediction, points out the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. In chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, God's Spirit is our guarantee. He is our guarantee. If you look at those that passage, in, and we begin reading in verse... Uh, uh, 13, it says, In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. Now, in the, in the original, as you look at this, it's obvious that Paul, dictating this letter, and it being written, starts off on a thought, a train of thought. He says here, it's, it's really broken language. He says, when you heard the word of truth, and then it's, it, he wants to be explanatory, the gospel of your salvation. And then he starts the thought over again. You can see it in the language. You, you believed in him, he says. There's not three events, it's one event. Hearing the word of truth, the power of the gospel, you believed. It's one event. It's not two events, not three events. It's one thing. They're simultaneously happening as the spirit of your man, the inner man, hears the gospel. He responds in belief. That's, a, that's an immediacy, a thing that happens simultaneously. We can't separate them. So don't make that three different events there. That's one thing. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the word of truth is the gospel of your salvation. And when you heard it, you believed in him. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Now, I have an outline, three, four main points, and here it is. It's going to be easy to remember. If you want three words for this outline, the three words would be saved, sealed, surety. That would be three words, okay? But if you want the longer outline, if you want to write it down, it's we have been saved by God through the Holy Spirit, and the power of the gospel. We have been sealed by the Holy Spirit as God's possession. We have been given a surety, a guarantee of our inheritance, the Holy Spirit. We have been saved, sealed, and given this surety to the praise of God's glorious grace. Those are the four points of the sermon. Now let's flesh those out. Let's make those broader. Let's understand them better. First, we have been saved by God through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. That's in verse 13a. If you look at the very first part of that verse. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. We are saved by the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. The word of God and the Spirit. Now, in this prayer, we've already seen that verse 3 is a broad catchphrase. 
broad catch verse. It kind of tells us the broad overview of what he's going to tell us in verses 4 through 14. Then if we look at verse 4 through 6, we see the work of God in eternity past for our salvation. This is the role of God the Father in our salvation. If you look at verses 7 through 12, you see the work of Christ in our salvation. You see the work that Jesus Christ accomplished in His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension in our salvation. And then verses 13 through 14 tell us the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation. So we have a Trinitarian prayer. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We not only have a Trinitarian prayer, we have a Trinitarian salvation. God the Father saves us. God the Son saves us. God the Holy Spirit saves us. When you deny any part of this Trinity, you deny a a crucial part of your salvation and you can therefore not be saved. When someone comes and says, well, I believe in salvation, but I just don't buy this whole Trinitarian doctrine that you teach. I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Then you can't be saved. Well, I believe in the Father and the Son, but this whole hokey ghost thing, Holy Spirit, I just don't get it. I don't believe that. Then you cannot be saved. It takes, it takes God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to sure, make sure our salvation. And so we see that in these first verses, in these first verses of Ephesians 1, we have the prayer, the blessing of the Apostle Paul, and he includes in it all three persons of the deity, this Godhead. Three and one. But now we're focusing on the work of the Spirit. And so we look and say that God works through His Word and His Spirit for our salvation. He does both. Do not deny either of those. It's important that you grasp the fact that you cannot be saved without the Word of God. Anyone who tells you they were saved, having never heard the Word of God, through some vision, through some special word on the in, into their heart, They are not telling you a true conversion. They are mistaken. They are fooled. They are tricked. They are bewitched. We hear reports coming from the continent of Africa today that are very troubling. And those reports are that Muslims, reading the Quran, are seeing visions in their sleep. And having never heard the gospel, are believing, supposedly, in Jesus Christ. This is troubling. Why is it troubling? Because God has designed our salvation to come through His Word and through His Spirit. You can't divorce the two. You must have both parts. Where do I get something like that? John chapter 3. If you hold your place in Ephesians, and you're going to turn some today in this message because it's so important that we explain these carefully. In John chapter 3, we have one of the fullest teachings on the Spirit in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Nicodemus has come to him, has asked a question, really hasn't even got the question out yet. Jesus answers the question before it's asked, tells him that he has to be born from above or he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he expounds on that in verse 5. Look what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's debate over this, but... In, 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 and as you study the New Testament, it becomes clear that this statement, water and spirit, is synonymous with the word and spirit. 
As a matter of fact, we get that in Ephesians chapter 5. When describing the role of what the husband is to do for his wife, he is to wash her with the Word. And Peter says, in this same way, that the water is the Word. It is the water of purification. The Word of God is the water of purification as exemplified in the Old Covenant worship. So the Word of God, along with the Spirit of God, works to our salvation. We see it in Jesus' teaching here. That which is born of the flesh is of the flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is born of the Spirit. Okay? And the Spirit is working, it is blowing across the Word of God to enliven it, to make it alive, to make it active, as Hebrews 4 says. Active and sharper than any two-edged sword. What gives the Word activity? What gives the Word power? The Spirit of God. This is not just any book. This is the book of God. When you sit down and you read this book, you should read it on some levels like any other book, but you need to realize that only in this book is God promised to work in your life. Can He work through other sources? Sure. But the only sure way to know He's working in your life is to be in His Word. When people tell me they hear from God and they follow that up with anything... Beyond being in God's Word, my eyebrows raise. Again, it's not that God is limited. It's that God has, has said, promised specifically to work in this way. Everything else beyond that is, is eye-raising for me. He works in the Word. It bothers me that we have invented techniques to see people saved without mentioning God's Word. Without quoting God's Word. Without reading God's Word. It really bothers me. It bothers me that churches in our day are doing away with preaching. You say, well, obviously it's an occupational hazard for you. And more than that, it's a salvation hazard for the audience. When you stop preaching the Word of God, you now have withdrawn the one sure way the Holy Spirit of God comes through and works in the hearts of His people. And works in the hearts of lost men for their salvation. When the pulpit is replaced by a drama stand. Or it is replaced by a video. Or it is replaced by any other method. We've gotten into an area that we know nothing about from God's word. God works through his word. And he works through it like a purifying water to wash away our sin and our unbelief. He washes away our unbelief. We see it in Titus. Off the pen of Paul, we see the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. Titus chapter 3. It says here in verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works which we had done in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Spirit washes us, through the Word, I would uh, conjecture, through the Word, and He makes us alive unto God. The Holy Spirit does that. If you look at Romans 10, and yet another passage by the Apostle Paul, Romans 10, verses 14 through 17, the Apostle writes, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? without someone bearing witness, without someone picking up the Word of God and telling them about Jesus Christ. How will they know? 
And how are they to preach unless someone sends them? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed when he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, what kind of hearing is, is the apostle speaking about? And that, that's our next sub point in this. It's that God illumines his work by the work of the Spirit. God illumines His Word, excuse me, by the work of the Holy Spirit. He makes it alive. He brings it to, to you so that you do understand it. And for that, I turn to one of Jesus' famous, famous uh, parables in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Jesus, talking about the parable of the sower of seed, says, Some were sown on the path. Some were sown... Off on the wayside in the weeds. Some were sown on rocky soil. Some were sown on good soil and bore much fruit. Thirty, sixty, a hundred fold. And then he explains the parable. And notice what he says. The sower of the seed is the one who preaches the word. The, the seed is the word of God. So right there, if you're looking for an evangelism strategy. The evangelism strategy is teach Preach, live, witness to the Word of God. Okay? Sow seeds everywhere. Don't be sparing in your sowing. Don't judge the soil and say, well, this looks like good soil. I think I'll sow there. No. Just sow it everywhere. Just sow it. Scatter God's Word everywhere. In all of your relationships. Well, this guy, he seems to be cut off to me. He doesn't seem to respond when I talk about Jesus. Don't worry about that. Just keep sowing the Word of God. Just keep sowing the Word of God. And let God's Spirit illumine, make that come to life. And what soil does He do that in? Well, there's hard soil, right? And that's those who are hearing the Word audibly through their ears, don't ever receive it into their heart, and they just reject it outright. The, the, the birds, Satan himself, come down and take those seeds away, and nothing happens. It's like talking to a brick wall, as my... Uh, my family would say. You're just like I'm talking to a brick wall. You've met those people. You start talking about Jesus, you might as well be talking to yourself. They're not listening. They hear what you're saying, but they don't hear with their heart. And that's the difference. When Paul says in, in Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, that hearing is not this hearing, not your ears physically. It begins there, but it doesn't end there. It is the hearing which we have in our heart, in our inner man, the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we say the second soul would be those that hear the word and they respond to it gladly and they spring up to life apparently, but then the troubles of this world happen and they fade away. And you've seen those people. You talk to your neighbor, you talk to your fellow student about the Word of God, and they seem to respond with such enthusiasm, and two weeks later, they've walked away. And when you say why, they say, well, this came up, or that came up, or this happened, or that happened, or I'm going through this trial, or you don't get me, you don't understand my life. Jesus says those people are like rocky soil. They have no foundation. They have no depth. And then there's those that the, the Word of God is sown into the weeds. And, the, and again, the, the, the riches of this world, the temptations of this world choke those people out. 
They come up and then they're choked away. And then there's the good soil, which is those who are saved. In this parable, there's only one soul which bears fruit, and that is the believer. And you know what? Listen, evangelist, person in here sharing your faith, and I hope that's everybody, it is not our job to choose who to sow the seed to. It is our job to sow seed. It is our job to spread it far and wide on all types of soil. And let the Spirit of God do it. When Paul went to Ephesus, he did not run a survey and find out people's spiritual interests and then try to speak to those who were interested. Paul went and stood in public and preached the Word of God to everyone. To everyone. Everywhere. He gave the outward call. And what he's celebrating in Ephesians 1.13 is there were some in Ephesus who heard not with their ears but with their inner man. The word of truth, the gospel of their salvation. That's the second thing I want you to know about this. Those who hear, truly hear the word of God are saved. Look at the text. In Him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of what? Your salvation. Do you notice that? Very personal, isn't it? Every person who hears the Word of God in their inner man, illumined and made alive by the Holy Spirit, is saved. Is saved. There are no exceptions. It is irresistible. You cannot walk away from it. And I know when we talk about irresistible grace, we often are made fun of by those who say, well, I know a friend of mine, he sat in church all his life, and when the altar call happened, he gripped the pew, and he wouldn't go forward, and he wouldn't be saved, and he rejected God's call. No, he rejected the outward call of the gospel. That happens every time the gospel is preached, I believe. In a mixed company, today, right here, some of you will reject everything you're hearing from me and walk away. That happens all the time. But there is zero people in here who the Spirit of God takes what I'm saying as the Word of God and plants it in their heart and gives it life who will walk out those doors unsaved. All of them will be saved today. In Him... You heard the word of truth. It is the gospel of your salvation. The word of God is made alive by the Spirit and rooted into the heart and they are saved. They are saved. The work of the Holy Spirit is not failing among the people of God. It is going to completion. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6-13 through 13, that there are those who cannot discern spiritual things, I'm summarizing, because they don't have the Spirit in them. They just You preach the gospel and it's like talking to a brick wall, literally. And then you make the same presentation. Some of you have been frustrated with that. And then you're ready to quit evangelism. I'm just not good at it. Somebody else will have to do it. And then you share the gospel the same way, no different with another person. And they melt in front of you, literally. And they say, what must I do to be saved? I was reading Acts chapter 2 in mixed company. And just read it. One preaching, it just read it. And at the end, one boy said to me, How do I repent and believe? All I did was read it. I didn't explain it. I didn't go through some huge uh, production. I didn't manipulate. I read the Word of God, and the Spirit of God took it to that boy's heart. 
And he said, how do I repent and believe? I want to repent and believe. I want to be saved. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. In Him, you heard the word of truth, and it is the gospel of your salvation. It is the gospel of your salvation because you believed. When you heard it, you believed. So, I'll just ask this question of you. Have you ever truly heard the gospel? I'm not asking if you've ever sat in a church and heard someone preach. You've obviously done that. But have you ever in your inner man heard the gospel? Or has it to you been nothing more than just an outward exercise? Something that you participate in because it's traditional or because someone makes you or because it seems like the right thing to do? Or is it life to you? Have you heard it and has it been illumined in your heart? I can't answer that question. Only you can answer it. I can tell you this. The gospel is salvation. This is the gospel, simply put. You and I are sinners. That's the bad news. That's not gospel. Gospel is good. This this is awful news. We are sinners. And we stand in front of a holy God who judges us according to His law. Without exception, every one of us has broken that law. If you've broken it in one point, you've broken it in all points. You and I are sinners. And standing on our own merits, we have no hope. And yet the gospel, the good news is that He has come. God Himself in the flesh. And He has dwelt among people. And He has lived the perfect sinless life. He didn't come to abolish the law that you and I have offended. He came to fulfill that law. And in fulfilling it, He fulfilled it on our behalf, those who believe. He did it actively producing righteousness for us. Because we couldn't do it. And then he died. Not guilty of any sin. He took the sins of the people who believed in him and will believe in him. He took those people's sin on himself and satisfied the very wrath of God. If you want to know what your fate holds for you, if you reject this gospel, look at the cross. I suggest you go read everything you can find about the cross and you find how tormenting it really was. Not just physically, but spiritually. That's what your eternity will be. It will be the cross multiplied over millions and millions and eons of years and time. And there will be no mercy and there will be no hope there. And so how am I saved? By clinging to in faith, believing in, treasuring Jesus Christ above all. He is your hope of salvation. And so you are connected to salvation. Your wrath, the wrath of God is consumed on your behalf by Him and you are connected to God by Him. His righteousness has been put on you and your debt has been put on Him. That's the truth of the gospel. And there's nothing for you to do except Cling to Him. Nothing. We, uh, we have the fall festival. And some of you might wonder, why don't you charge something? I mean, donations. We don't take them intentionally. Because at, as I mingle with the people of our community, and there were more than 500 here, it was a beautiful thing. Of all different kinds, types, socioeconomics, races, they were all here having a good time. And I would walk around. They'd say, you the pastor? Uh, yes, I, I'm one of the pastors here. Can I give you some money? No, it's free. It's free? All this costs a lot of money. Why don't you take money? Because we have been given the gift of Christ for free and we give you this 
for free. We're not charging you. It's grace. It's on us. We paid for it. Have fun. Enjoy. Live here in freedom. We do that intentionally. We do that so that we can then have a platform. And we don't call them together like cattle call and make them all hear the gospel. We don't do that. And you say, why not? You're missing a chance. Because we want to tell them individually. We're not, we're not conniving them here with pony shows and clowns to hear the gospel. We want to live the gospel to them. And so, it's free. This gospel is free to you and it cost him everything. That's the truth. That's the word of the gospel. And you are saved at the moment that you hear that in truth and it is applied into your heart. We have been saved through God's powerful gospel through the working of His Spirit. Secondly, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit as God's possession. We're going to make it through uh, this point and probably no other today. But this is a very life-changing point in the text. Look at verse 13b. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You know, I, I've, as I um, was coming up, I, I grew up on a farm. Some of y'all mistake that to mean a farm with animals. We didn't have any animals. We had one dog. Uh, well, we had one dog at a time. We had a lot of different dogs. But... We didn't, we didn't raise animals. But when I got on up in years, my uncle had moved to Wyoming. And I got the privilege to go out there and spend the summer, parts of the summer, my junior and senior year of high school with him. And one of what we, the activity we did was go on a 55 mile cattle drive with about 300 plus cattle. And we put them in rugged. We ate out of chuck wagons, slept out of a, uh, uh, slept on the ground in a sleeping bag. I mean, it was awesome, just like John Wayne. And uh, except with, I didn't have a gun. That was the only thing. Uh, but we did that. One of the activities on that cattle drive was we put all the cattle, we put all the cattle in a pen, in a, in a in a in a, in a corral, and the cowboys would cut out. The, the, the calves that were missed in the spring roundup and that weren't, uh, weren't marked, weren't sealed. They weren't branded. You see, because in the West, they still have open range feeding. They still do that some. And then when they have that open range, the only way one man knows his cows from the other is with a mark. It's called a seal. It's called a brand. And each one is distinctive. It sets those cows up. So you can't have any dispute over whose cow's what. That cow belongs to me. How do you know? Because I've marked it. It's mine. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit at your salvation. What if I lose my salvation? If it were possible, if, you were, if it was left up to you, it would be possible. But God has not left the assurance of your salvation to you. When He saved you, He sealed you. He branded you. He marked you with His Spirit. And that cannot ever be removed. It is permanent. It is there. And so, what you and I could not do, I guarantee if we had not been sealed with the Spirit, we would have walked away from our salvation. 
Would you be honest and admit that today? You would have walked away long ago, wouldn't you? But you can't walk away because He is preserving you. He is keeping you. He cannot deny Himself. And He has planted Himself in you. He has sealed you. That's not a second blessing. That happened at the moment you believed. At the moment faith was expressed, you were sealed. In the ancient world, this seal, this seal was much like a signet ring of a king. When he put out a pronouncement, and it was, thus says the king, he stamped it with a wax and signet ring, which bore down into the very parchment so that it could not be removed. If you had any doubt whether this was a true edict from the king, you could take your thumb and rub it across the thing with your finger on that parchment and feel the king's insignia. This couldn't be falsified. It couldn't be made up. This was a real document. That's what God did with you and with me when he sealed us. He sealed us, and this is the point I want to stress to you. He sealed us permanently with his spirit against the day of judgment. Now, this is where it really gets good. God seals us personally as His possession. He claims us. He marks us. God seals us so that we are saved from the day of judgment. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 30. Because there's several ways this term is used in the New Testament, but Paul uses it, I believe, in the near context in this way. Look in verse 30 of chapter 4. And do not, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God... By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve this spirit because he has sealed you for the day of redemption. God has given his spirit as a seal, as a mark to make us his possession so that we will survive the day of judgment. So that we will not be consumed by the wrath of God in the day of judgment. He will ride through the herd of people, of humanity. And He will separate the sheep who are marked with His Spirit to the right and the goats who have not been marked to the left. He will separate them all. And He will know His sheep by His mark. And it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God living and dwelling in them. Against the day of wrath. Against the day of judgment. And so, you say, what's so grand about that? What's so wonderful about that? Well, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament... He gave symbols and marks and signs that set the people apart. One was circumcision. Another was the feast of Passover. Another was their rights to land. It set them apart. It made them a people. It made them a nation. It set them apart as a holy possession unto God. But in the new covenant, He has done much more. He has not given us outside signs like circumcision to mark us. He has given us Himself. He didn't give us a sign. He gave us a person. The Holy Spirit. And it now lives in us. Listen, the old covenant people of God, every year, killed a lamb, spotless and one year old, not lame. It was their cherished possession. They slit its throat, drained its blood into a bowl. They took the bowl with a hyssop and marked the gates and marked the doorpost. And that was a symbol of the people of God. That's what set them apart. It was an external way to preach to the world, we belong to Jehovah and Jehovah only. And when the day of judgment came at their original Passover, the death angel passed over those who were marked 
who were sealed, who were set apart. And he killed the firstborn of every other house. God didn't give us a lamb and a bowl of blood. He gave us himself. And on the day of judgment coming for the new, at the end of this age, he, we will not be passed over because of the blood of a goat or a lamb, but we will be passed over because he lives with us. And he lives in us. Do you get it? He didn't give us signs. He gave us Himself. You are the temple of the living God. So, think of your life now. Your daily life. When's the last time you lived your life or I lived my life as we really are, the temple of the living God? What activities are you giving your life to, giving yourself to, that you would say, you know what, if I would stop and think about being the temple of the living God and that the Holy Spirit is in me, I would leave that one off. You want a fortress, a shield against temptation to sin? You have it. His name is the Holy Spirit. And He lives in you. Now let's flip it from sinful activities to good things. How much, listen, eternity lives in you? Your eternal life doesn't begin at the resurrection of the dead. Your eternal life began at the moment you believed and you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. He now lives in you. Eternity lives in you. So what are you giving your life to that is eternal? That on that day of judgment will withstand the fire and will be a glory to Christ. What are you giving your life to? You live in eternity now, not in the future. You live in eternity right now, you and I. What are you giving your life to? You giving your life to worldly things? You giving your life to, to uh, sports? You giving your life to school? You giving your life to work? You giving your life to family? You giving your life to friends? You giving your life to all these good things? Let's leave the overtly simple things alone. Let's go to the really good things. That's what you're giving your life to? All I say is, you are the temple of the living God. You have the Spirit of God in you. Why would you not give your life to Him? Why would you not live every day as unto Him? And so we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, with the promised Holy Spirit, with the promised Holy Spirit. When did God ever promise His Spirit? Well, He promised it in Joel chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, one of those minor prophets that we will arrive in heaven and he will say to me and to you, so what do you think about my little letter of prophecy? Well, Joel, I never got to it. I'm so sorry. And you will be sorry because this is one of the sweetest texts in all the Bible. And it shall come to pass afterward, verse 28, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. Chapter 3, verse 1. 
For God, for behold, in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided my land. When are these texts true? Peter says in Acts chapter 2, they're true today. They're true today. The Spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh today. There's not going to be, there doesn't have to be, a future fulfillment of that promise because the promised Holy Spirit has come now to live in us. And so the last thing I would say as we close is, you are God's possession. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. What Paul is doing here is revolutionary. Look at the text. He has now given to the Gentiles what once was thought to belong only to the Jews. Their expectation was that Joel 2, 28-29 would be fulfilled in Israel. And Peter and the Apostle Paul say, no, no, no. It's not fulfilled in physical Israel. It is fulfilled in the church of Jesus Christ. My spirit is not coming to dwell on Jewish men and women. My spirit is coming to dwell in and on all men who believe in me from every tribe and every tongue and every nation on the planet earth. And I'm drawing them to my son, Jesus Christ. We are connected intimately with Israel. This is not me saying Israel should be replaced This is me saying Israel is expanded. The meaning of what it was in the Old Covenant has been fulfilled in Christ and now has been expanded to all men everywhere who believe in Him. We are the sons and daughters of Abraham, our father, children of faith. And now we are saved from the day of wrath through the sealing of the Holy Spirit, through the being marked out for His possession. As we close, I just ask this. I just ask this. How would your life be different? How would it look different? How would, how would your life look if you actually lived as if you were the possession of God? How would it look if you lived, as, if you lived the truth that His Spirit is in you? Is another way to ask that. How would you live, the, the third way to ask the same question, how would you live... If he was walking along your day with you. What would you give your life to? What would you set aside and not do? Well then, whatever that is, needs to be a reality. Because he does live in us. He is with you. You are his possession. How would it change you? If you stopped living as a pauper and began to live as a son of a king, not a king, the king, how much greater would your ability to resist sin be if you lived in the reality that that sin is a false idol and it has no power and you're possessed by the most powerful being in all the universe? You're possessed by God. What would your life look like, Christian? A lost man, lost woman, 
Your life can't look different until you hear the word of truth, until you believe the gospel, until you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father.